Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. We're in 2 Nephi 9 and 10 today. Jacob has finished reading the uh, Nephites, the Isaiah chapters that he felt would give them some comfort and hope um, he, that the Savior would come and recover them once again. He tells us in 2 Nephi 9, 1, why he read them Isaiah. This is it. And now, my beloved brethren, I've read these things that ye might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all of the house of Israel. I think they did not understand the covenant that the Lord made, uh, made with the house of Israel. One professor said that he thinks they likely felt that since they were broken off from Jerusalem and the house of Israel, that that meant the covenant had been broken and that they were considered lost. Since they felt they had lost their inheritance, which for them meant the land, then they no longer felt they were part of the covenant people. If you remember anything about the Abrahamic covenant, you'll remember that he was promised in Genesis 13:15, 15, all the land which thou seest. And it was said again many times after that, that his posterity would inherit this land, but it was contingent on their righteousness. I don't want to spend too much time on the Abrahamic covenant, but the Lord told them if they were disobedient, that they would be removed from the land and scattered. The Nephites felt that they had been cut off from the land, not once, but twice, once in Jerusalem and once again when they had to leave their inheritance because of the Lamanites. So think about how they must have felt. They have left their homeland, had crossed this incredible ocean for days and days, and now they're in the promised land. One of my favorite stories in history is that of Julius Caesar in 49 BC when his governorship was over. He had been ordered by the Senate of the Roman Republic to disband his army and return to Rome. And governors were not allowed to march into Rome with their army because Rome feared they would try to wrench control. And so he paused at the Rubicon, which was a river, uh, knowing that if he crossed it, that uh, he would be entering Roman territory with an army, and this would start a civil war. He is reported to have said, let the die be cast. He started a war that lasted five years. But for Julius Caesar, crossing the Rubicon was considered passing the point of no return. And I'm sure the Nephites felt that as, that as they landed in the Promised Land, there was no going back. They had passed the point of no return. They had crossed the Rubicon. He wants them to be happy about this, though, not sad. This is what he says in verse 3. Behold, my beloved brethren, I speak unto you these things that ye may rejoice and lift up your heads forever because of the blessings which the Lord God shall bestow upon your children. He wants them not to be sad, but to rejoice because even though they may not see the promised blessings, their children will. And now Jacob proceeds to tell them about those blessings. And essentially, he tells them the plan of salvation. He calls it in verse 6, the plan of the great creator. And again, in verse 13, he calls it the plan of our God. He reiterates all the aspects of the plan. First, he talks about the fall. And because of the fall, we're all cut off from the presence of the Lord, which is a spiritual death. But also because of the fall, we die physically, which is a separation from our spirits. We needed someone to rescue us after this situation. Jacob calls it in verse 12, this awful monster, death and hell. We needed someone who was perfect to rescue us from that. And that someone was Jesus Christ, who made the ultimate sacrifice so we could be, number one, reunited with our bodies, that's called resurrection, and number two, go back to live with Father in heaven. He tells them that when the Savior comes, he will suffer and die for all men. That resurrection comes because of the Savior and his sacrifice. 
So what do you think would happen to us if there had been no, no, no atonement? Well, verse 7 says this, Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon men must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. So let's explore this verse first. Jacob says the fa- the first uh, judgment uh, that he talked about was uh, what happened to us because of the fall. What does the word infinite mean? Well, the dictionary says it means it is impossible to measure or calculate. Endless. We cannot even today measure or calculate the enormity of what the Savior did for us. President Russell M. Nelson said, Jesus Christ's atonement is infinite without an end. It was also infinite that, uh, that all mankind would be saved from never-ending death. It was infinite in terms of his immense suffering. It was infinite in scope. It was to be done once for all. And the mercy of the atonement extends not only to an infinite number of people, but also to an infinite number of worlds created by him. It was infinite beyond any human scale of measurement or mortal comprehension. That was from his talk, The Atonement. One of my favorite hymns is There is a Green Green Hill Far Away, and it says, There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Infinite and impossible to measure. Jacob also talks in this verse about this corruption. That means that our bodies are going to die. Putting on incorruption means our resurrected bodies or the ability to live is the ability to live forever. So if it had not been for an infinite atonement, we would not be resurrected and we would not have the ability to live forever. D. Todd Christofferson says, if our separation from God and our physical death were permanent, moral agency would mean nothing. Yes, we would be free to make choices, but what would be the point? The end result would always be the same, no matter what our actions. Death with no hope of resurrection and no hope of heaven. As good or as bad as we might choose to be, we would all end up angels to a devil. That was from his talk, Moral Agency. Now, Jacob tells them that we all have to stand before the judgment seat before God. Verse 14 has always been interesting to me, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Here's 14. Wherefore, we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanness and our nakedness, and the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. Once we we are reunited with our bodies, we will all of a sudden have a perfect knowledge of everything we have done in this mortal life. Someone once said there will be no more, fa- no more facades, cover-ups, or denials. We'll see everything clearly. It depends on what our life has been like as to how this moment will play out. For those who have wasted away their life on this earth, it will probably be a hard moment. For those who have been wise in the use of the time and kept the commandments, it will likely be a time of joy. So to speak, the book of our life will be open and the story will be read. Or perhaps we will read it. That is what's interesting. We'll have a perfect knowledge of the way we were in this life, and there's no getting around it. No excuses, no denials, no blaming someone else. It's just you and the Lord. 
So now that he's outlined the whole plan of salvation and how it works for them and for their children, his hope for the Nephites is that they will realize what great things God has done for them, and they will not feel cast off and forgotten. He says, time to get our lives in order. Uh, this is 2 Nephi ten twenty. And now, my beloved brethren, seeing that our merciful God has given us so great knowledge concerning these things, let us remember him and lay aside our sins, and not hang down our heads, for we are not cast off. Nevertheless, we have been driven out of the land of our inheritance, but we have been led to a better land, for the Lord has made the sea our path, and we are upon an isle of the sea. But great are the promises of the Lord unto them who are upon the isles of the sea, wherefore, as it says isles, there must needs be more than this, and they are inhabited also by our brethren." For behold, the Lord has led away from time to time from the house of Israel according to his will and pleasure. And now behold, the Lord remembereth all of them who have been broken off. Wherefore, he remembereth us also. So touching. Don't worry, family. The Lord remembers everyone who has been led away from the house of Israel. And he's going to remember us too. You still have an inheritance, just a different one. Though they're thinking land is their inheritance, Jacob wants them to know that personal righteousness brings an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Okay, back to 23. Therefore, cheer up your hearts and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves, to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil in the flesh. And remember... After ye are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Wherefore, may God raise you from death by the power of the resurrection, and also from everlasting death by the power of the atonement, that ye may be received into the eternal kingdom of God, that ye may praise him through grace divine. Amen. Now, why is this important for you to, all of you to know all of this? He's talking to the Nephites, right? Trying to keep them buoyed up and moving forward. It's because all of us from time to time need the same buoying up to know that we're not forgotten and that the Savior has engraven us on the palms of his hands and that he waits for us to return. I think one of my favorite scriptures is found in 2 Nephi 9, 41. Paints a beautiful picture of what awaits us when we get back home. This is it. 41. O oh, then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate. For he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. Neil Maxwell once said that each of us will have an opportunity to personally thank the Savior for what he did for us. He said this quote in his book, I think it was his book, But a Few Days. He said this, If there is any imagery upon which I would focus as I close, it is two scriptures actually from the Book of Mormon, the one in which we are reminded that Jesus himself is the gatekeeper and that he employeth no servant there. I will tell you out of the conviction of my soul, what I think the major reason is why he employeth no servant there, as contained in another book of scripture, which says he waits for you with open arms. Mormon 6.17. That's why he is there. He waits for you with open arms. That imagery that should work itself into the very center core of one's mind, a rendezvous impending, 
a moment in time and space, the likes of which there is none other. And that rendezvous is a reality. I certify that to you. He does wait for us with open arms because his love of us is perfect. And when he entreats us to become like him, it is that we might have his joy, the fullness of which we presently can only guess at. That was Neil Maxwell. It's been my favorite scripture since I read that by him, that he waits for us with open arms. Sometimes I try to imagine that reunion and wonder what I will do. There's a song I listened to by a Christian group called Mercy Me that says, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. So, until next time, 